0: Welcome to the winged wheel podcast here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna and Evan Lobsinger.
1: I think after last episode was finished recording other than being an absolute bloodbath. Oh my goodness. We were playing like the Red Wings against Buffalo or we were recording as if we were the Red Wings playing against Buffalo last episode. That was bad. And other than, you know, taking a deep breath and making sure everyone survived that. I think I looked at both of you and said, I need these next three games to go well.
0: (laughs) We need to mimic their performance. Or we are mimicking their performance. We have Well, yet to be seen, but that's the plan anyway.
1: The Red Wings held up their end of the bargain. How many times have we come on to this podcast with three games since the last episode, all three of them wins. All three of them wins. Three games and four nights, and the Red Wings come away with a W in each of them. Our Detroit Red Wings. It's a whole new world. For now, we're just going to enjoy this moment. I, we had, uh, we had an interview that we were going to put on this episode, and it is, for good reason, going to be pushed to the midweek, um, where there's some more space for that content. It's a really, really great interview. You'll like it. And uh, what a good problem to have, where the Red Wings just could not stop winning and celebrating past cups, which is a really cool thing to do. Well, uh, here to talk to you about that entire three-game win streak, everything going on uh, with the Detroit Red Wings, the world of the NHL, uh, and hockey elsewhere, I am one of your hosts of the Winged Wheel podcast,
2: Ryan Hanna. I'm Elon Musk. Brad. (laughs) (laughs) Parody. Is that what I legally have to say now? (laughs) Yeah, I
1: think so. Evan will cancel you. And I'm Evan. (laughs) (laughs) On this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast, we are going to be talking about uh, anything other than uh, what Brad mentioned. (laughs) We're going to be talking about the Detroit Red Wings and their three game win streak, not just the games themselves, but the 97 and 98 Cup victory 25th anniversary celebrations. Uh, We'll be talking about the individual and team performances that came with those three games against Washington, uh, the New York Islanders, and the New York Rangers. Uh, Some notes for Red Wings across the board. Uh, Don't look now, but Dylan Larkin is playing like he's in a contract year. And, I mean, Dominic Kubelik too. And he's not in a contract year. So uh, We're going to be uh, analyzing Philip Zadina's injury, how long he may be out, and what that means for uh, Red Wings or Red Wings hopefuls. And then some news from across the NHL. um, Not of the positive variety. Suspensions for Josh Anderson and Matthew Kachuk. Uh, Boston has signed Mitchell Miller. And, uh, oh, a small note actually about Pavlodatsu. That one's, uh, we don't often get news about Pav, and that one's uh, positive. Or, you know, talk of him getting in the hall, which is always fun. Uh, But before we do that, I do want to mention that this podcast is proudly supporting the Jamie Daniels Foundation, an organization we're really, really proud to partner with. Uh, And one way you can support the Jamie Daniels Foundation is by attending on Thursday, December 1st, hot stove stories with Ken and Mick. Uh, So it is going to be a breakfast event at Motor City Casino uh, from 7.30 to 9.30, breakfast will be served. Uh, Mickey Redmond and Ken Daniels will be there to banter, uh, recall stories of old, and they'll be joined by Red Wings legends Chris Draper and Chris Osgood, as well as refereeing legends Wes McCauley, who you'll hear on the mic today, uh, in today's NHL, and uh, legendary referee of old Dan O'Halloran. Uh, I will be there to just uh, stand and mediate, but they are going to be the ones delivering that great content. So there's going to be a Q&A period, they're going to tell stories, it's going to be a great time. So visit jamiedanielsfoundation.org to get your tickets. Uh, again, it's a breakfast event, uh, it's going to be a blast and it's for a fantastic cause. Oh, and there's a silent auction uh, happening about halfway through November leading up to the event and there's going to be a live auction there too with phenomenal items. They, I think there's a Ray, uh, signed Ray Bork puck, and that is one of like the smaller things being auctioned off. So to give you the idea of, of what's going to be there. So uh, if you're a memorabilia person, it's going to be a treasure trove for you. Okay, I vote Vladdy comes to every game that he wants to come to. I'm not sure if he already does. I know he's at the LCA a lot, which is fantastic, but he has to be a good luck charm with the way this team was able to eke out wins. It, it's all on him.
2: I can't think of a single other reason why. No, it's just
1: him. Bef- and before we talk more about the celebrations, can I just say how nice it is to see him doing well? Like he seems mm-hmm. to be, like he's seems to be so uh, energetic, and he just seems to be doing really well. And and I'm not familiar with what goes into his treatment. It's obviously very intensive, and, and we know it takes quite a bit of resources. But uh, it's it's nice to see him energetic and pumping up the crowd and really enjoying his time there he's one of the most beloved figures in Detroit for good reason and uh yeah he looks great so it's awesome to see my Red Wings childhood like my nostalgia was going nuts for the 25th anniversary anniversary celebrations like seeing Nicholas Lidstrom in the Red Wings jersey obviously Eiserman there too uh did you see the picture I posted of Eiserman?
0: I did <laughs> I was wondering why I had so many notifications when I logged on to Twitter.
1: Yeah, your weekly log on. Yep. Uh, you saw it, Brad? Yep. Ken Daniels talking, presenting to the event, and Steve Eiserman on his phone, sitting behind him. <laughs> obviously doing something general manager-y, uh, but all I can think of was, oh, that's Evan. This is what uh, the YouTube comments hate.
0: That's right. I-, I better see the exact same YouTube comments.
1: About Steve Eiserman. About,
0: about Steve Eiserman. Well,
1: if you're able to do it, make the same impact that Steve Eiserman has for the Red Wings, then I think you'll get a pass.
0: I'm on the right path. Sure. Yeah, man. Just need like a few more years of <laughs> high impact events. Watching
1: the Red Wings file in and then Brendan Shanahan getting there and then playing the Irish jig. I was like,
2: whoa, the wave of nostalgia is actually out of control. It made me so damn happy. That brief moment where you forgot that Shanahan turn coded and joined the enemy. Yeah. Yeah, I know for it's for now. <laughs> it's not popular.
1: I've said it before like bring Shanny back and that's that's a purely uh a selfish thing. Like I think the Red Wings already have a great group uh of hockey minds consulting on this team and I I know a lot of people don't want Shanny back cuz they're like, "Well, what's happened in Leafsland? What is there to say for that?" Um I still disagree, and that's purely subjective. Yeah, I don't fault him for it. It just, it never not looks wrong. It's, oh man, it's just good to see them again. And then on the first night, they, they did this celebration on both nights. Thursday was the 97, and Saturday was 98. Uh, but just seeing Chris Draper grab the cup and very intentionally bring it over to uh, to Vladi, put it in Konstantinov's lap, just like, you know, the video that we've seen a million times when they won the cup in 98, it was. Uh, it makes you tear up. Like you, we've 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 seen the story, and it's been told a trillion times, and uh, it's still it still gets me. It's still one of the most impactful things for Red Wings fans. Well, that was fun, and it was a, a celebration of championship, uh, a couple of championship seasons for the Red Wings. And I was actually kind of worried going in. in. I was like, this isn't an easy lineup. This is not the good times. No.
0: Having these.
1: (laughs) No, they just got thumped 8-3 by Buffalo. And not that Washington's been the best or like, you know, Washington, New York, New York is the toughest slate in the league, but it's not an easy one. No, the Red Wings had a very
2: cupcake schedule to start the season. And you knew eventually there would be a stretch of good teams. And the Capitals are facing a ton of injuries right now. They are not playing like the Capitals, we know. Mm -hmm. The Islanders, who started the season slow, walked into Detroit on a five-game winning streak. So, you know, you can argue about who the Islanders actually are, but they were coming in on a heater, and then, I mean, the Rangers are the Rangers. Um, They haven't been, you know, firing on all cylinders lately, but they're still a super talented team. So it was, to phrase it in context with the rest of the episode, it was three very losable games.
1: Let's start with the Washington game, uh, which was awesome, a, a great start, especially for the Red Wings power play, With uh, where Kubelik in the second period, it's not a surprise that it's Kubelik, but Kublik found Raymond on the back door. That is a really great use of the net front. Prashanth Iyer, I think, I, I'm sure he was serious, but it was almost in a joking way. He said, This is the modern version of the Red Wings net front, but they've done it a lot. Like that backdoor play, and we're going to talk about another very important backdoor goal in a couple minutes here, but uh, that is an excellent use of that, and Kubelik has an eye for it too. And credit to Lucas Raymond, kicked the puck up to from his skate to a stick to bury that. That was great.
2: Yeah, for that play to work, you have to have an actual shot threat on that side, and I know we beat to death the importance of having Perron and Kubelik on opposite flanks where both are legitimate shooting threats constantly, but you're not going to score on every shot. And teams eventually start to game plan. You look at what teams have tried to do to Ovechkin for the last however many years. When you can open up different lanes and keep the defense and the goalie guessing, it makes the pass and the shot more effective. So after Kubelik's hot start, people were naturally going to assume every time that puck touched his stick, it would be going at the net 100 miles an hour. So every time he throws the change up to Lucas Raymond back door, it's got a pretty high percentage chance of going in. You guys see that uh, offsetting
1: minor that they called on Lucas Raymond? Uh, yeah, where he got mugged. So o- Ovi gets a, what was it, a tripping call? Neon uh, cider. Ovi complained a lot about that one, a lot. And I was like, Alex, that was so obviously a penalty. He tried to do the uh, accidentally on purpose thing, and
2: he didn't even do that well. Oh, I don't even, I'll give Ovi credit. I don't think he meant... To no. hit cider knee on knee, and trip him he he was leading with his arms. He was legit trying to hit cider. still a penalty. <laughs> it's a penalty. So while all
1: that's happening, Kuznetsov uh, goes after Raymond, gives him a couple shots, at one point has his chin strap in his glove is like holding him by the chin. uh cross check in there as well. And the referee looks at that and says, "Oh, well, Washington's already going on the penalty kill." I can't give them an extra penalty. So he gives Kuznetsov something because you have to mugging the guy right there. And Lucas Raymond, <laughs> the poor guy, is just standing there, not even defending himself. Should have got
0: his money's worth, I suppose.
1: Honestly, as stupid as that, as it is to say, referees will never change. Give him a shot. Pop him in the chin. Pop him in the chin while the ref is in the way. I don't care. Because if they're going to call an offsetting minor either way, yeah. In for a penny, in for a pound. Yeah. It wasn't even a penny. It was less than a penny. That was that's my biggest grip. What's well, one of my biggest gripes with refereeing? They're afraid to call the game in a way. I'm not the person who's like militant about call the rule book as it's written. I understand that's going to get messy, but too many times referees are afraid to call penalties as they are. If a team wants to be a, a bunch of boneheads and take two penalties on one play, penalize them both times. Watch how many more times they'll do that for the rest of the game. I bet it's zero. You just described game management. It's what it is. There's a certain conversation to be had about... Why are you both wearing green today? Did you text each other? Nope. This it's St. Patrick's one. Day, right? Yeah, <laughs> close to it. <laughs> why, were you drinking like it is?
0: Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Anyways, there's there's a certain kind of uh, game management on a much more subtle level, level where a referee can work with a team and say, hey, I let that one go... That was like a 50-50 chop. But if he does it again, he's going, this is your warning. That kind of stuff's okay. Making up a phantom call because it doesn't make you feel nice at Washington's. You, because
0: you missed a call or we, something.
1: Put them two men down. Stick them in the box for four minutes. Like, whatever they do, penalize them for it. It's it's how games get out of hand. And the refs are like, oh,
2: we're all trying to find the guy who did this. Well, fast forward a couple of days. I successfully predicted that's what was going to happen at one point in the Islanders game because Mm -hmm. the refs did call everything to start the game and because the Islanders are one of the, you know, I'm not going to call them goons, but goonier squads in the league. They were running around doing stupid Lock stuff. Walk your doors, Lou's coming for you. Yeah. yeah,
0: I do not endorse this statement at all. <laughs> but this is Brad. Oh, I think he would be happy with my i got to change He's my pre- shirt right now. <laughs>
2: he, he legitimately won't have a productive fourth line because he likes this exact type of thing. I think he'd be okay with this statement. But the, re- the Islanders were running around being a bunch of idiots the refs called a bunch of penalties against the Islanders, including I think there was a five on an extended five-on-three there for running around and being a bunch of idiots. I sent out a tweet saying the Red Wings need to score on one of these power plays because they are going to get the next string of penalties or, or something along those lines. And, you know, after Lucas Raymond blew up Matt Barzell and awesome. the Islanders ran around like idiots and put the Red Wings on a five-on-three and Lucas Raymond scored on that five-on-three... It was proceeded to be, uh, the rest of the game was called very much in favor of the Islanders. There was a play where Lucas Raymond got buried from behind into the Islanders goalie. Dylan Larkin got the only penalty in the scrum. This is the game management that drives Lee's people up your-
0: snipers in the rafters. That's yeah. right.
2: This is exactly what you're describing. It just happened a game later because you knew you could see it coming. Can't yeah. have too many power plays for the Red Wings. And they had a lot early, so they made it up the rest of the game. So the rest of the Washington game, yeah, the
1: biggest story there was late in the game. Pretty much outside of the, the Raymond power play goal, it was 1-1. It was a grindy game. Washington was probably the better team uh, in terms of how they were producing on the ice, but Husso was just outstanding the whole game. He was the only reason that Detroit was in it. Washington couldn't convert on anything, and then Andrew Kopp late in the game finds the perfect time to score his first career goal with the Detroit Red Wings. Um, excellent. Like, was it a pretty goal? No, but he'll take it. And that was, everyone was just like, yes, like cop that. what a moment to arrive. And you just knew with how Vili Huso kept him in that game that the Red Wings were just looking for that one bounce and that's what they got.
2: Yeah. (laughs) When cop obviously had his chances in the first, you know, however many games, and he should have had more than zero goals based on the way he was playing. He hasn't exactly been a revelation yet, but he had a late start but he's been playing all right and had his chances and just, they wouldn't go in for him. Yeah. And then, you know, he's still doing the right things on the ice, going to the right places, making the smart plays. And I think, yeah, he was just driving the net, found the lane. I think it was Larkin from behind the net, put it out to him and cop more or less whiffs on it. Ernie. Larkin, Ernie, Ernie gave it to cop. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And cop does not get a hundred percent of that puck when he shoots it. And, you know, maybe because of the angle of the pass that came out from behind the net or the fact that it wasn't off speed shot, it just really threw off Kemper and that should be saved a hundred out of a hundred times, but it got through. And right when that goal went in, you could hear, you could actually hear Phillips. break his stick on the bench, <laughs> uh, but <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, you know what? The difference is cop went to the net. Yeah. Well, Steena tries. But uh, <laughs> this is what we mean when we say, hey, eventually a guy who hasn't got a break is going to get a break. And cop should have had a couple other goals this season on plays that usually end in goals. Yeah. This probably shouldn't have. Th- this is the balance. This is the regressing to the means. So, should anybody feel guilty or upset that the Red Wings won a game on a you know, pretty no. fluky goal. No. no, absolutely not. That's why that's how ho- say crash the- yeah. that
1: goal is as much as it's not planned and you can't bake on it and that's not a set play, it's also planned and you can bake on it. And that practically is a set play because that's how hockey works. You crash the net. You make shit happen. Yeah.
2: yeah and for everyone that you should have, that should have went in, you're eventually going to get a couple that shouldn't have that do. And this yeah. was, you know, the universe finally throwing cop a bone and it ended up winning the game for the wings. Larkin got an empty netter as
1: Cop found him for the uh, he he paid it back he the Michigan connection and Cop gave uh, the empty net goal to Larkin and uh, sorry Larkin got the empty netter and that was a two point night for Larkin as he continued to produce a two point night for Cop Raymond of course got that power play goal and yeah the Red Wings got a great start to well Thursday but great start to the weekend there um, and then moving down to the Islanders game obviously the, the pre game festivities as well but that was an afternoon game. Again, yeah, I think it was McCarty this time, handed the cup to Vladdy. So, already good juju in the building. And, uh, man, who, what do we talk about first other than Raymond absolutely destroying Matt Barzell open night, like open ice, like just a beautiful clean hit? I understand the scrum after. I'm a big, uh, you don't scrum after every clean hit guy. If I was on the Islanders, I'd be pissed off. Some guys
0: also, you know, are coming off the bench. They just hop over and they see their guy get blown up. They don't know the circumstances before it and it happens so fast. They don't like it. And then one guy jumps in and there goes everybody else. It happens like. And it's noteworthy.
2: It was Matt Barzell.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There might
2: not be the same reaction if it was, you know, uh, a fourth line. Casey Zizekas. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) Although Zizekas would probably take care of that himself. Yeah. But, um. Yeah, when you see your best player going down in the neutral zone uh dramatically. I know people hate scrums and fights after clean hits. And in a bubble, we all understand why it's stupid. But in the same bubble, we all understand why it happens. Yeah, but man, like Lucas
1: Raymond has really turned it on. Ever- Since
0: he scored Wingmill Podcast Night Bump. That's, That's right. That's literally what it is. He's yeah. looked completely different after that or from that game onward.
1: Every in every facet of the game, converting on the power play, getting involved physically, which isn't a new part of his game and it's one that we loved last season. And think of how many stars you see around the league who are considered smaller and more skill hockey IQ guys who have no physical aspect to that game, their game. And not only do they get shut down physically, but they get punk tested a lot as Brad loves to talk about. Um, and Lucas Raymond is not afraid to give it back, and no, not at all. if he's gonna blow up Matt Barzell and get his nose dirty in a scrum, it doesn't matter if he wins every fight or whatever. no, he's just not afraid to get his nose dirty. and like he's just showing up as such a complete player right now. He is a it's hard to find a player of his skill set and say that's a coach's dream player, but it really is because he's doing everything.
0: That's why he subscribed to the WWP Patreon. <laughs> That's right. You get a huge bump like that.
1: Can we confirm or deny? No. But uh, it'd be cool if he did. So you can make reality whatever you want it to. Uh, and then, of course, Raymond followed up his massive hit with a uh, power play goal. And that was just karma.
2: Yeah. He throws the hit, manages to keep his cool in the scrum, not take a penalty, Uh, The Islanders take another penalty on that power play, turn into five on three, and Lucas Raymond converts it. That is the ultimate FU that you can throw to any team. So what was the play? It was uh,
1: uh, the puck went to Kubelik on the right side, and he found Lucas backdoor left side. Weird. Yeah, never seen that one. It was nice to bust it out for the first time. Kubelik's not an aberration, right? Like, he's not a blip. Like, this guy has serious talent. I'm not saying he's going to score... He's going to be at a 102.5 point pace all year. No, I'd be surprised if Larkin is. But these are serious skills that the Red Wings were deficient in before this season. I just didn't think they'd
2: find so much of it in one player who was signed for pennies. Yeah, he's a good player. He's not going to keep up at this clip forever. Right now, he's the um, beneficiary of you know the bounces that come when you're on a heater. And he's a beneficiary of a depleted lineup because he's playing a huge role right now. But what people always say is, hey, when opportunity presents, seize it. And I don't care what Jacob Verana looks like when he comes back or Tyler Bertuzzi. Kubelik's not losing his spot on power play one the way he's producing no. from that flank. He, that's his spot for the year now. You can put Verana on the second unit to get, because that unit's useless right now. And if Bertuzzi comes back, You can put him on the second power play unit. The first unit looks phenomenal, and the guys who have been given the opportunity with the injuries have capitalized it, Kubelik, first and foremost, and obviously he's playing a regular top six role because of the injuries, because he did not start there at the beginning of the year. So is he an aberration? Kind of, yes, but is he an actual good player who will probably produce for the bulk of the season at a decent rate? Also, yes. That game was, uh, well, Suter,
1: Pew Suter showed up shorthanded, and that was the play where you talked about where Larkin was the only one penalized. It was weird. Yeah. It, th- that seemed like a balancing penalty. Uh, Suter, again, a little bit of karma, scores shorthanded, and then who else but Kublik finishes uh, the three-goal effort for the Red Wings. Short side goal, which was a mix of Kublik having a great release, and I honestly don't think that puck should have gone in.
0: He beat him clean, and you do not see a lot of goalies get beat like that
1: on the short side. And it was that was a goalie's angle,
2: like goalie. Yeah, low blocker on a goalie from a lefties is tough for a goalie, but it was a two on one. And you could tell Varlamov was absolutely leaning for a pass there. And Good on Kubelik. Kubelik recognized it and saw the window and hit it.
1: Kubelik's shot. Well, a performance has been so good that they awoke Evan and he came in and made a non retweet that's right Twitter post
0: that's he, right the seal of approval <laughs> he didn't even have to pay for it
1: my mom could call me right now and say hey I'm proud of you even though you didn't go to med school and I think I would have that would be less of an honor than you out of out of nothing just out of dust creating a message and tweeting it out on Twitter
0: I agree I fully agree that with that.
1: Thank you for not going further into my self-deprecating joke. You're welcome. Uh, Three nothing, Red Wings win, and that is Vili Husso with a second fantastic performance, uh, a shutout performance, bringing his save percentage up to a 941 on the year, which is good for uh, fifth in the NHL currently, and among goalies who have played seven or more games, like he has, that's third. That is, it's early. He's it's played seven games. It's still absurd
0: that there's that many goalies above that.
1: Jake Ottinger, who's a oh, freak. Well, yeah,
0: that one makes sense. Cam
1: Talbot with two games has a 9.51, so that one is what it is. Carter Hart, eight games, has a 9.46. Philadelphia, you're welcome. And Stuart Skinner is still crushing it in Edmonton through five games with a 9.44. But Husso has
2: been lights out for Detroit. Yeah, so the Islanders game, the Red Wings were the better team the whole game.
1: It was much more
2: bit of a third period lull, but for the most part, they were the better team. Which has been a trend for them. Yeah. Uh, but Husso is still great. The Capitals game, the Red Wings were not the better team and Husso stole that game. Uh, so when he's getting a ton of work or when his team's carrying the play, it doesn't matter. He he does what he needs to do, which is fantastic to see because we've talked about he just looks so calm in the net. He just can't be rattled. Even if Ned had been good
1: or uh, up to this point or, you know, the... The Red Wings played better in front of Ned. It's hard to see a world where this isn't a 100% unanimous agreement that Billy Husso is not only the Red Wings fide starter right now, but it's not too dissimilar to what Carter Hart is doing in Philly, right? Like he's keeping them in games and allowing them to have an opportunity to steal points. We were talking pre-episode. The Red Wings right now, and this isn't a knock on them, like this is not a complaint. I want to make that clear from the start. But the Red Wings right now, they don't have the talent to come out and shoot lights out and just blow teams out of the building like, you know, a Tampa or Colorado Cup competitive team can do. But they want to win games. So how are they doing it? You've heard Ken talk about it on the broadcast. You've heard Derek LaLone flat out say it. They're clogging up the neutral zone. Uh, You know whatever you, one, three, one, one, two, two, whatever you want to call it, they're clogging up that neutral zone and they're making it really tough for teams to get anything going. And sometimes that makes for mucky, dirty hockey. And you just shut down the opposition's offense. Okay, that's step one. Two, did your goalie give you what you need? Whoso has been doing that game in and game out. Great. Three, did you screw up on special teams? The Red Wings didn't this weekend. Awesome. What can your forwards muster? And that's where the biggest question mark is for me right now with the Red Wings. They are not... Super talented on offense, partially because of injury, partially because that's just where they are in the rebuild, and partially because a
2: lot of guys are still finding
1: their form, although it's a lot better now than it was last episode.
2: Yeah, to continue this tangent a little bit, there's t- two... Oh my this God. is
0: off topic.
2: <laughs> yeah, this off- is terrible about, content. Wait, no, I wanted to talk about this, but I didn't think we'd bring it up in the context of Vili Huso, but, but... Because he's given him a chance, but yeah, yeah, take it. Yeah, so the the Red Wings, what was the word I used... Pre-episode to describe their offense. I can't repeat that on air, Brad. You know that. yeah. Something like a struggle bus or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, uh, they're generating enough offense to get by, and the the first power play unit's mostly doing their job, but it looks hard. Nothing they do on offense looks easy. They don't have the Mika Zibanejads, Artemi Panarin's Nathan McKinnons, the guys who can just pull offense out of the air, and it looks effortless to them. The Red Wings play a lot of cycle, a lot of grinding along the boards to get the puck, a lot of, you know, crashing the net for rebounds. They don't score that many pretty goals. They don't manufacture it easily. It's tough. And, you know, part of that's injuries, part of that even fully healthy. I don't think there's a lot of easy goals. Sure, a couple, you know, Jacob Vrana shots help, like we've seen from Kubelik. So... They're doing what they need to do on offense, but that only works if the defense and the goaltending is sound. And this is where the Lalonde era versus the Blashill era is really, really finally starting to, like, you can see it. It's taking a little bit of a shape. The, the muck. There's a lot of mucky games because the Red Wings have to. They know talent for talent, skill for skill. Capitals, Islanders, Rangers, all three of them, the Red Wings were not the more skilled team. They just weren't. Um, so what they have to do is shut down the Matt Barzels, the Alex Ovechkins, the Mika Zibanejad, the Artemi Panarins as best as they can. They know they're not going to fully stop it, but keep the damage reasonable. Washington only got one goal. It was Ovechkin, but it was only one. Uh, the Rangers only got one goal from Panarin and Zibanejad, and it was on the power play. You know, the Islanders got nothing. So, to Lalone and the Red Wings' credit, who hasn't and Ned haven't had in their good games, a ton of high danger chances against the Red Wings are are good about limiting shots in general, limiting scoring chances. And then when they do get into a fire drill in, in their own zone, if you actually notice it, it happens a lot more than we would like, but when it happens, they're pretty good about keeping it to the outside. A lot of point shots, a lot of passes that end through the slot that don't really materialize because there's a Red Wing there. So, you know, I don't think Huso's had to play like a Vesna contender to get these wins, but he's, you know, you you run enough fire drills, there's going to be chances. But the combination of Huso and Ned against the Rangers today playing extremely well, coupled with finally starting to get a really good picture of what Lalone's systems are have completely changed this team. That is the fundamental difference from last year. Yeah, Kubelik and Peron help with, and a couple of the other guys, help with a little more offense, but that's offset by losing Verona and Bertuzzi at the same time. Defensively, transitionally, and in the net, th- these this is a fundamentally different team than last year, whereas offensively, we're seeing a lot of the same, I'm not going to call them problems, but same struggles as last year.
1: They're not always going to translate like that system is not always going to translate to wins either. And look no further than this year's Red Wings to see that. Like we're talking about this three game high and it's a
2: very happy go lucky episode. But I mean, they are seven, three, and two. So this isn't just a three the three game high is nice, but they were they were getting points before that. Totally. But there will be lows. There will be lows where a little bit of bad puck luck, a
1: little bit of cold goaltending you know, some special teams, woes, or whatever it might be, it's going to move the needle in another direction. But not only is this important now to pay dividends, to make Red Wings, what, are they second in the Atlantic right now? Yes. Sane. Not only is that paying dividends this year to give them more points on the board, it's also laying a fantastic foundation for when they do get more talented. And I don't just mean when Bertuzzi and Verona come back. I mean, as the rebuild progresses, and, you know, Derek Lalonde will still hopefully be coaching this team, and it'll be same systems, then you have a lot more to play with. Then you have a team who knows how to buckle down and shut down the opposition, play team defense, get the fundamentals right so you don't have to rely on you know one superstar trying to win the game. But then they actually have the superstars. And it's a long path from now to the Tampa Bay Lightning, which is where Derek Lalonde is getting this system and these kind of philosophies from. But you can kind of see it Laid ahead. And it's, uh, it's a promising start to the season. You're not going to start
2: drawing a parade route or anything yet, but it is a promising start. Yeah. It's not a perfect system as we've seen so far teams with elite shooters can exploit the system because the wings, when they get in the fire drill, they collapse the middle, which when you're gassed, when you're tired, when you've been in your own zone for over a minute, it is the right course of action. But you know the Stamkoses, the Benajads, the Ovechkins of the world. They're they're gonna find it eventually, yep. and it's all about limiting it. And it's so far very acceptable. So the Red
1: Wings came into uh, a third game in four nights, and this one's on a back to back with travels. They went to New York uh, to play the Rangers, and of course that's the start that Ned got. Um, and that's not a complaint either. Huso earned the two home starts with rest and obviously was outstanding. But this has been the story of the season so far. Part of it has been Ned's own making and part of it has just been the luck of the draw. But Ned gets a tough assignment where the Red Wings uh, start out down 2 nothing to the New York Rangers after first. And that was a tough 2 nothing down because I thought the Red Wings power play was fantastic. They created a lot of really good chances. Halak was outstanding. The post was great. Some bad puck luck also kept the puck out. But the Red Wings are doing the right things. And uh, it was a great start to the second period where Matt Luff got his first with the Red Wings uh, on a great redirect off of a char- shot and cider, another assist for him uh, to put the Red Wings on the board. And they picked up quite a bit after that. They were much more energetic and it they looked like they knew that they could beat the Rangers tonight, which I was watching that and I was fully expecting this to be the tough game of the three. Like that
2: game to be the, oh, okay. Not everything can be perfect this weekend. I mean, it probably was the toughest game of the three in hindsight, the way they all uh, went down. But, no, yeah, the Wings had a really good bounce back. Going into the third period, they're out shooting the Rangers pretty comfortably. They were controlling the play. They were mucking up the neutral zone and the D zone very effectively. Um, you know, the Rangers weren't generating anything of substance. Uh, Kreider cuts sent down to the fourth line. Um and, you know, yeah, the Red Wings got n- not a lucky goal, but, like, you know, point shot that gets tipped in. It's not yeah. a super common occurrence, but it was good to see Matt Luff, uh, full-face shield and all, mm-hmm. uh, tip the was it Chirot point shot in. Yep.
0: From a mile away, that shot was going into the corner, and he somehow tipped that. It was an excellent mm-hmm. redirect. Yeah, that's what Vintage
1: you- 2002 point shot. Like, yeah.
2: yeah. It's what you call a low-percentage shot. Hey, 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 be nice to defenseman, Brad. But it went in. And then you know they had the three on two that uh, Suter was able to put in the rebound, and at that point in the game, the Red Wings were definitely controlling the flow, and it was great to see. You know, there's something to be said about did the Rangers have their a game today? No, very mm-hmm. obviously not. But you got to capitalize when you can. Did not love the Red Wings third period, no. which seems to be a trend. They uh, been doing that. A lot. They've been doing that a lot. The Rangers heavily controlled uh the third period um but Ned was dialed. Yeah. Ned was absolutely dialed in that third period. He looked he looked different. It felt different. Like he was calmer, he was you you could just feel that he was more confident. Yeah. In that one. So it was good to see and yeah, despite the Rangers controlling play, nothing got through him. That it was a,
1: another story. The the Red Wings goalie made essentially every save that he needed to make more or less it kept the red wings in it Suter picked up a uh, rebound off of a heroic shot which was off of a uh, larkin shot and uh, the game went to overtime and it was because of Ned; he did everything that he needed to do to get them there and then he had an
0: assist on the game winning goal <laughs> he did
1: yeah did they give it did they actually give him the apple on that no, I, I don't think he's say, the one who started it
2: down. Yeah, it was Cider to Perron. Did I
0: say assist? Yeah, yeah. Ah, well, he set up his own entry. Yes,
2: he was the one who caught the Rangers on a change, fired it down, and and allowed the Red Wings to get a a pretty easy entry. He had a non-stat assist.
0: There's Red Wings defensemen who can't even make that pass. <laughs> no,
2: especially in previous years. About, about half of them, anyways.
1: Cider. Uh, with his second assist of the night, sent it over to Perron, who was really great tonight, by the way. And I, I didn't give him enough credit post game, and he really was good. And what a fantastic pass to, to Kubalik
2: back door! Yeah, just sat there. I don't know how else to describe. He just sat there with the puck not moving. He's just sitting there and, menacingly, and he just waited for the defenseman closest to Kubalik to just switch to defend the other side. Because you know, when you're on a four and three power play. It sucks for defenders because you basically have to cover two guys at once yeah. when when the diamond is set up. So he didn't know if Perron was looking for the 1T to, I want to say, Larkin or backdoor to Kubelik. And Perron just sat there waiting. And when the stick went from Kubelik to Larkin, Perron fed it through to Kubelik for the easy tapping. Yeah, he
1: and it was that was through Truba's triangle, too, which, you know, Truba is going to be livid about. And that was through a triangle of New York Rangers players collapsing in because it was four on three power play in overtime. Uh, they're going to have to replace the posts and a stick for Halak. He lost his
2: mind after that goal. It's not on him either. No, it was, Halak played great. Um, goalies are just competitive. Yeah. You don't you hate losing the game and it's got to be frustrating for him because it wasn't even a shot that he had a chance in hell at saving. So it's kind of the, he's probably angry because of that helpless feeling of it all.
1: Anyhow, it's not often that we spend this long just recapping the games. Usually that's actually... Well, how many times do we have three games between episodes? We're going to take advantage of this while we can. Uh, But let's talk about some takeaways. We'll do the standings thing right now. The Red Wings are 7-3-2, 16 points through 12 games. That's good for second in the Atlantic uh, in one of the divisional playoff seeds, but we won't get too far into that. Let's talk again after Thanksgiving. Uh, But some storylines... Don't look now, but Dylan Larkin and Dominic Kubelik, both at 15 points. I believe, with my very terrible math, that puts them at uh, a 102.5-point pace for the season. Definitely sustainable for both. No question about it. I'm taking the over. <laughs> I'm not. I'm surprised about Kubelik. I'm really not surprised about Larkin. How many times have you seen good, great player, star player even, who has uh, a contract coming up, and there's some questions about do you put him into really high-paying territory or elite payment territory, and they just come out and are
2: lights out that season. It's amazing what a little extra motivation will do. I'll, do. I'll be surprised if Larkin finishes at 102 points, but I'm not surprised he came out of the gates just on fire. He's... And I don't think enough is said,
1: because we so much time is spent talking about Larkin, and a lot of it has been contract-focused, Even through the tough games, Larkin has been one of Detroit's best players night in and night out.
2: Yeah, I mean, at this point in his career, and he's the captain, we know what Dylan Larkin is. It's just game by game to what degree, to what level of effectiveness. You know what you're getting. He, He hasn't added anything new to his repertoire in a couple of years, but what he does have is more consistent and a little better and a little smarter. And this is a result of it.
0: He's getting to the middle of the ice a lot better than he did in the early years oh, of his yeah. career. He was the biggest perimeter player that I could really remember. He just sat on the outside, waited for... Just tried to use his speed to get in, but like that just does not work at the NHL level. And he'd circle the ice <laughs> all, all day. Yeah. He just
2: went for wraparounds against Ottawa every game. Yeah. yeah.
0: And now he's really getting into the middle of the ice... Uh, understanding where the lanes are at the NHL level, and it's paying massive dividends for him.
1: Elevating, you know, players like Lucas Raymond and keeping Detroit in games where they just need something to squeak through. I will say I could do without the heart attacks that he and most Sider give Red Wings fans every game. I think most Sider just has so much leg, like he's just so tall that the puck. I I want him to wear heavier shin pads because it seems like he takes a puck to the leg and is wincing and limping off every single game. And every time it happens, I'm like, this is the one. This is the one where there's like a, a bone bruise or a fracture or something and he's going to be out and we're all going to be very sad. And then he's out there like six seconds later.
0: Rasmussen took a good one today too. Oh, that was gnarly. <laughs> Jeez.
1: <laughs> and he didn't have a chance to set too. And you could see no. on his face, it was equal parts pain and like, damn it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we'll talk about the ones that Dina took in a second as well. But yeah, Larkin, uh, Larkin and Sider, aside from the heart attacks, Larkin has been phenomenal. And we've, we've obviously said everything there is to say about Kubelik. Both of them have been outstanding. You'd hope that they aren't Detroit's only highly productive players. What, who's next on the Red Wings scoring? Is it eight with Perron? David Perron, seven points behind them. Yeah, but I'd take that over, the, over the, uh, what we've had previous years, which is nobody at over 100-point play base. <laughs> yeah. uh, we, we talked about Phillips Zadina. After the Islanders game, it was, he left, he took a puck to the high ankle slash ankle area. It looks like something broke, like a fracture.
2: Yeah. As you just said with Mel Satter, those shots are hard. They hurt. They hurt a lot. And- if he was re-
0: wearing Ryan's um, skate shot blockers, maybe <laughs> it wouldn't have been as bad. I wore them for one tournament and I needed them. And I will not back off of
2: this. I don't know even know if the shop blockers nope. come up and cover the ankle. It wouldn't have helped no, with the ankle. They don't. It's yeah. for the inside of the foot. And man, that is the worst part on the boot to get hit because it's where it, your ankle bone is, your ankle bone sticks out, so it's closer to the edge of the boot. And you know the ankle bone in general is like mine's all swollen right now from a pass that hit me <laughs> last night. Like, <laughs> is that what it's like to be old? Oh, yeah. at, at, Phillips Adina's is like 23. Screw you. Uh, I was talking about you. A pass. Hit your ankle. I mean, it wasn't like a soft one, but still it was just a pass. But yeah, and that hurt like hell and still hurts like hell. So yeah, that, that obviously would break someone's bone. It's not surprising that it broke Phillips Adina's ankles. It just makes it all the more surprising every time it doesn't break most ciders.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, there needs to be, and it's, it's been a lot of just freak accidents, but at some point, either the trainers or the Red Wings coaching staff is going to have to look at all the players taking pucks of the insides of their legs or like Bertuzzi with where he took the puck on his hand to say, we got to do some lessons in how to protect yourself.
2: Yeah. I, I understand some coaches teach that kind of, you know, turn your body a little bit to make yourself bigger when you're blocking a shot. and. From a, are you going to block the shot perspective? Yes, it is more effective. So I understand why you would do that in a big situation, but this is the result. The way your equipment is designed, there are so many more unprotected areas and sensitive spots that you're going to catch it. Because if you just skate straight on and you know Bertuzzi got unlucky where it hit him in the back of the hand, but all your gear, your gear is protective head on you are far less likely to get injured the only way you're going to get injured blocking a shot that way in all likelihood is unless it ramps up a stick and hits you in the face or like Bertuzzi Mm -hmm. catches you in the hand or it catches you on the laces so you know I get it and it's the NHL and it comes with the territory but if you're playing a lower level please please don't do that (laughs)
1: Zadina is going to be out. I think Ken said on the broadcast six, to eight weeks, which lines up with what we were hearing even before the game. Lalone after the game today said, said months, said months, not, so it couldn't even weeks. be. Yeah, that's quite a bit of time. We're not going to get into what that means for Philip Zadina. He's had a after what was a very promising pr- promising preseason, a very frustrating start to his season. It, it's been bad, and this is probably the only thing that could have made it worse. So. Aside from diving into that black pit of uh, despair f- for, for Philip Zadina's hopes for this season, because that's a ways away, what does that mean for who's going to come up? Because Berggren playing in Grand Rapids is looking really good. I know Zarnick is up. I know Matt Luff is up. And, and the Red Wings have options, and it doesn't necessarily have to be bring in the the biggest prospect name. But in terms of where they need talent on this team, they need scoring talent. Not like Zadina was doing much in that department, but they needed Zadina to be doing a lot in that department. So all that to say, does this bring Jonathan Bergen that much closer to Hockeytown?
2: The fan in me says, I hope so. I don't know if it's the right answer though, because Bergen's doing well. He needs to, Bergen needs to play power play. But then again, I think Zarnik was on the power play today. So I'm kind of arguing against myself there. If you wanted to give him a look, this feels like the time. I don't know what they want their thoughts and their feelings about continuity. Do they want a yo yo guys do I mean the last thing I want to see happen with Bergeron is what they were doing with Chelowsky forever. I mean you know yeah. that, that's always going to be our poster child for you know how to not handle a prospect and the the yo yoing of him was uh, as we can now see very detrimental to his career would like a five to ten game stint of just hey. We're bringing you up, get a taste for it, get a feel for it, and then we're sending her back and you're not coming up again. Sure. I could very much see the logic in that. Not only out of getting Berger and a feel for what the NHL is like, but also we're getting close to the point of necessity um, because, you know, there's only so many Matt Luff's and Austin Sarnik's in the world you can bring up. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a good answer here because I don't know what their plan is for Bergeron, but the fact that Luff and Zarnik came up first leads me to believe the plan with Bergeron is continuity mm. and development and dominating not, you know, Hey, we're going to bring you up and uh, you're going to play wing with Austin Zarnick and Matt Luff. So it's basically the AHL, but uh, with tougher competition. So I, I get the feeling that unless it gets desperate, he's probably not coming. At least they don't want him to. I want to double back for a second and make a smart ass quit, but I
1: wanted to let you finish your point. I think Dennis Cholosky not being able to play defense as a defenseman was also very detrimental.
2: Some continuity to his might have helped him <laughs> learn it a little more efficiently. Yeah, with
1: Bergeron, I'm not. Uh, when it happens, it happens. I can see the argument for for continuity. I'm personally of the mind. I'm like, yeah, just bring him up now. See what sticks. Right. I I think. Soderblom has been, you can make a case for him staying up to kind of learn the pace. We were talking about this with Max and Prashanth. Um, the pace thing and, and where's the best place for him, because his play has dropped off since he, he started out really hot. Um, but it, there's a good argument to say, even if he's struggling here, just leave him here and let him adjust. Or if it's getting to be too bad, then, you know, put him down in the AHL. But will that actually be enough for his development? This Dina injury gives him more buffer. And I think if you're doing that with Soderblom and you're keeping him in the NHL to give him time to adjust, I don't mind doing that with Bergeron too. I'm kind of just, like we talked about earlier, the Red Wings need offensive help. It can't just come from the same guys and it needs to be more of a consistent spread out threat. Um, But if their internal plan for him is we want you to stay up when you come up and this isn't the exact right opportunity, then I can see that. But hey, six to eight weeks or even longer, that's one hell of an opportunity
2: yeah and out of everybody injured right now, Sunfist is the only seems to be the only one who's not gonna be out for a while still mm-hmm. so yeah, whatever decisions they make do feel like they're gonna have you know not permanence to them but some longevity to it. It's not gonna be you know this guy, this game, that guy, that game, et cetera, et cetera.
1: All right, well, we'll see where that, where that goes. And, and there's a lot more to say about this, but we actually have some other things to talk about. Very quickly, Pavel Datsuk uh, Ken mentioned on the air that Igor Larianov told him that Datsuk was unofficially done playing hockey. So by all rights, he's retired, but he hasn't actually fired, filed the paperwork. And Larianov is trying to get Pavel Datsuk to file that paperwork because then that starts the clock on when he's eligible for Hockey Hall of Fame uh, nomination, which is three years yep. after retirement. So Pav, please do it. Pa- Pav does his own thing. Yeah, he certainly does. Uh, But I want to see him and Hank go up at the same time. Yeah. The NHL. Ah. Matthew Kachuk got suspended two games for sticking his uh, blade in Jonathan Quick's mask. Yep. He was trying to Darcy Kemper him. Stupid. Uh, I'm glad the NHL called that out and actually suspended him. The NHL also suspended Josh Anderson for one of the ugliest hits from behind I've seen in a long time for the same amount of time. Two games. Shades
0: of Chris Draper.
1: That was it. The, there was the same damn hit in the same damn spot on the ice. I know this is going to be a stupid thing to say, but if Petrangelo got seriously hurt there, there that's the difference between a two-game suspension and like most of a season suspension.
2: If Alex Petrangelo, I know I'm dramatic, but if very. Alex <laughs> Petrangelo had Chris Draper's injuries. uh this suspension is in the double digits minimum. If the hit was worse, it would have been worse. I know that's what I mean, we're no, saying, but, but is, it, it was fundamentally the like... The
0: outcome and the results were worse. Well, this is hits. my whole Suspense argument worse.
2: why the outcome should not matter. I hate that that is factored into suspensions because you can have identical plays and because one guy's built like Mo Satter and one guy's built like Philip Zadina, the results could be completely different. And it's the same play. That was a play like had his
1: visor or his helmet been up or down two inches, yeah. like charging facial
2: like surgery to his face bones. Yeah. Charging from behind oh, gosh, with time sad. into the dasher board. I knew the NHL Department of Player Safety wasn't gonna get this right. Like we all knew. I thought they would at least get closer than this. It was I I was thinking, okay, I'd give him ten. I figure they'll give him five, two. I mean, I'm not to diminish what Matthew Kachuk did, but gently trying to like poke the guy in the face versus, you know, almost shattering a guy's face. Let's not compare this to Matthew Kachuk. They just gave Michael Rasmussen two
0: games for high
1: sticking. I cannot believe that the NHL Department of Player Safety. You can't. You know I what? can't You're believe right. it. I fully believe it. Like, can you believe it? This is a Gordon <laughs> Miller-Pierre McGuire
0: moment, ladies and
1: gentlemen.
2: The first time I've ever wanted Pierre on this mic. That's right. The When I saw this suspension for Josh Anderson, the only thing that popped in my mind was that scene from Malcolm in the Middle with Dewey sitting at the table. I expect nothing, and I'm still disappointed. It was so bad. I just, I
1: can't. I will say knowing that that wasn't going to be penalized properly in the moment. You knew in the moment. Yeah. As Uh, soon as I saw Petrangelo get up, I'm like, oh, well, yeah, I am the, the meathead Neanderthal hockey fan. And me loved the fact that he Anderson immediately got piled on by every single golden Knight in the vicinity. And someone was feeding him punches too. Oh yeah. And I hope, I hope that there's a message sent the next time they play as well, which I don't know. It's, it's different conferences. Do you want it to have to come to that? No, I wish The Department of Player Safety would take care of it to start, but you you absolutely cannot be making that hit Any time in hockey if you're a kid listening to this I promise you doesn't matter how pissed you pissed off you are It is never worth it to make that hit But at the NHL guys don't forget that Josh Anderson's gonna have to have his head on a swivel every single time he plays anywhere near the Golden Knights
2: yeah, I I haven't checked the schedule to see when they play again, but it won't matter if it's December or March. There's someone that's going to be.
0: I know what you're reacting about.
2: Okay, so our next
1: topic, don't tell Brad. Our next topic was going to be the Boston Bruins signing Mitchell Miller an hour ago. At uh no, sorry, 21 minutes ago. So legitimately as we were recording this podcast, uh Bruins president Cam Neely uh announced that they are parting ways with Mitchell
0: Miller. (laughs) (laughs) Brad's face. If you uh, felt the earth shake, it was Brad's eyes rolling into the back of his head
1: (laughs) very quickly. (laughs) That was an Evan Lobsinger caliber eye roll. That was. Wow. What a disaster (sighs) from step zero all the way through, right? Like,
0: I'll be completely honest, and I'm usually not the dramatic one on this. But if I'm Boston ownership, I'm firing both of them immediately. You have to. I I, I don't. Sorry, I'm being first dramatic. Of all, you don't first have of all, to. But oh, I think they well, should. as
2: if Jeremy Jacobs wasn't in on this.
0: Come on. We, yeah. yeah, I'm speaking from like a normal standpoint, yeah, had, which clearly had this had anybody is the with wrong a, lens to take. Had
2: anybody with a soul, heart, common sense, half a brain was hey, running? We have ZMS. a couple of those between you hey, and I. Okay.
0: <laughs> but think about it, like if you're the owner of the team, like you want to drive the value of the team as high as possible. This definitely does not do it. And I have two people are so off base running the operation of this team. I mean, this is not the first incident of them running the team, like doing stupid things, but it's never been to this level and getting it wrong from step zero to now this, this is probably the the best thing they've done. Oh, God. But it was so unnecessary because Boston's the best team in the league.
1: They're playing, like, out of nowhere, they're the best team in the league. And you have a room of guys. I know people are going to be screaming, Martian, Martian. And, like, yeah, Martian on the ice is one of the most infuriating players if you're not a Boston Bruins fan. But Bergeron, Martian, Chara, when he was there, that room is all, like, they have a known reputation for being all about integrity it doesn't mean on and off the ice it doesn't matter if you're a a a new guy in the room if you're a random journeyman who in a snowstorm had to sign and play a game like brad's dream nhl scenario it, it doesn't matter if you're a star player or a fourth liner everyone in that room gets treated with respect and you you basically they make you a leader like you said Evan on and off the ice and they brought in Mitchell Miller.
0: Do you want to give maybe like a synopsis of this as, qu- yeah, as quickly as you could possibly could, because I'm sure there's lots of people who are Detroit only fans and they don't know the whole story on why this is so like insane.
2: The-, the quick synopsis Mitchell Miller gets drafted by the Arizona Coyotes a couple of years ago. Everybody's up in arms. Cause he has a, a history. Um, to, of
1: heinous, yeah, assault, bullying, racist acts, like
2: bad, yeah. So, I don't know what his victim's disability was, but it involved a lollipop and a urinal and and a lot of bullying, racially motivated bullying. That is the incident that is most often referenced in regard to Mitchell Miller and why he is this. And that was the one that was subject to the, that was the court case. Court case that was, was the one, yeah, yeah, where he was sentenced to community service, etc. The family of the victim has said repeatedly, this was the worst incident, but this was not a singular incident. This was years of torment and bullying. Since then, and again... I want to sit here, and before I get on my high horse, I'm a huge believer in second chances. Grade 8 students, especially grade 8 boys, are idiots. I'm not the same person I was five years ago, let alone when I was, you know, 13 years old. But since the incident, Mitchell Miller and the victim's family, Isaiah's family, has said repeatedly he has shown no remorse. He has done nothing to make this right, or apologize beyond what he has been ordered to by the court.
0: There was a second co-defendant as well, right? And he has taken steps to show remorse, apologize to the family, which Mitchell Miller has not done. Yeah.
2: So nothing happened really other than what was court ordered by, uh, to Mitchell Miller from the incident until he is drafted into the NHL. He gets drafted. Everybody's up in arms. There's a half-assed attempt at another apology. Nobody bought it. Arizona renounces his rights. Mitchell Miller then goes to play another season in the USHL after getting, you know, uh, he lost his NCAA scholarship at the time, which I want to say was No deck. Um, And then, you know, the problem here is Mitchell Miller's a really good hockey player. He had a phenomenal season. So naturally, the NHL, in the beacon of morality and common sense that it is, has teams tripping over themselves to sign this guy. Mitchell Miller ultimately signs with the Boston Bruins and the Bruins were the ones who decided to take the PR hit and make no mistake, the Bruins gave him the maximum rookie contract with bonuses not out of the goodness of their hearts and their be- and their belief in redemption arcs because you can rest assured they were competing with other teams for this. What teams, we don't know yet, if we'll ever know it all. But the Bruins are obviously the worst in the scenario, but they are they are not alone. Bruins signed Mitchell Miller. Naturally and rightfully, everybody, and I mean everybody in the hockey world is like what the hell are you guys doing?
0: And not only is it people on the outside; it's also the players yeah. on the Boston Bruins.
1: S- so Bergeron and uh, other Nick Bruno. Bruno. Those Nick might Fli- be
0: some of the most heavy-handed remarks I've ever seen a player have yeah. about their own organization. They no.
1: came out and said, "Why this character?" Like the they they softened it a little bit, but the major quotes were, "This doesn't fit the room." We didn't like it. We were confused as to why it's even happening. And that's not all, not all even to mention the fact that Don Sweeney, while trying to defend the signing, said the same things.
0: Essentially the same things. It well, may have been one of the worst yeah. press conferences I've ever seen. Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, you had everything the Bruins players were saying. You have Gary Bettman coming out and saying, we were not consulted on this. We don't even know. He's not eligible to play in the NHL right now, and we don't know if he ever will be. And then yeah, from the Bruins fumbling around everything and then
0: For just, a league that's built upon everyone being a lawyer, they do say like, a lot of stupid things most my of the God. time.
2: And and the Bruins said, yeah, we did our due diligence with Mitchell Miller to see, you know, if he's turned things around. And, you know, again, I'm a believer in second chances. So for all we know, the guy spent the last two years yeah. doing a ton of good charity work. You know, maybe he reached out to the family. Maybe this guy has actually shown even a sliver of an F that he wants to make this right. No, none of it. Absolutely none of it. He didn't. The Bruins didn't even bother talking to the victim to Isaiah's family. They couldn't even do that. And for all that to before you, before you go, just to culminate this, for all that, just to end where we all knew this would end. That's where. It's, yeah. Yeah. Like. Uh, you, so they got nothing out of this. Nothing. Predictably. Anybody with half a brain could have told you this was going to be the outcome. All this for nothing.
0: I have this very strange feeling, and it's probably predicated on some historical past events, but I have a feeling Boston thought this would be no big deal. To
2: be fair, in their defense, hockey does have a very long history of Because if they didn't
0: call Gary Batman or do anything, I think they just thought this was going to be all hunky-dory. And no one would even, they'd see the the wire crew go by, the people like, oh, yeah. At at least they
2: didn't announce it when they were in one of the, like, most rabid hockey markets in all of the world. You know, they waited till they were in Toronto (laughs) to announce the news. Uh, Adam Wilde pointed something out, and you, you alluded to the spread. The fact that
1: they did that before Friday in Toronto, where they were going to be on hockey night in Canada, every all eyes were going to be on that team, regardless, it means they felt like they had to do it. So other teams were pursuing him. And again, the, the money in the contract also points to that as well. There is a path to showing contrition and, you know, genuine restorative justice and all of that. And it's happened in the NHL and it's not a complicated thing. And very rarely is it so Unanimously not being achieved in one case, but with Mitchell Miller It's like the reason everyone's piling on it's no, it's not uh, People are trying to cancel him or anything like that There are cases of people doing pretty terrible shit and they are now better people and they just have a a dark past But that's humanity Uh, with Mitchell Miller. It's like every step of the way It just seems to be like you said Evan. They're just Trying to ignore it and wait it out and none of it has been genuine and there have been such low hanging pieces of fruit for them to grab onto and it's not happened. And so there isn't true contrition and there isn't in my mind space in the game for that. So the Bruins did all of this in a season where they're the best team in the league for what, for what?
0: Man, is it, if, if you have stocks and hating the Bruin, you are, you are loaded right now. Oh
1: my God. My final point on this and, you know, having to digest this as it was happening live on air is, is, I'm sure has been an interesting listening experience. That's why
0: I didn't want to really say anything. And I was really hoping you didn't pull that article up with the final details. And I was just going to, I was almost there to telling both (laughs) of you and getting live reactions to both of you.
1: Um, There have been a million billion players who have been talented, who haven't panned out in this league for one reason or another. And attitude is one of them. A lot of the times I say, I say a nauseating amount on this podcast. Hockey is a human sport. It's based on errors. It's based on capitalizing on other people's mistakes. It's based on being consistent when you can't be. Have higher peaks, and personality issues are one of the most is one of the most foremost reasons why guys don't pan out when they have all the talent in the world. I'm why sure- do you
0: think they interview people's parents and their brothers, sisters, and their roommates because they're trying to get a full picture of what this person is and how they you know react to uh to struggles and and how they persevere like it's not just oh this guy's toe drag go bar down like it's it's you got to know the person
1: everyone at the nhl level can do 90 percent of the things you need an nhl player to do there's stuff that goes into how consistently they can do it and, and what kind of person they are and it's not just about you need to know their personality to know how they're going to persevere and, and are they coachable it's are they going to be a problem we've seen problem players they fizzle out and burn you you're probably you the listener are probably thinking of 10 different people right now there's it's the easiest story in the world to think of uh in terms of NHL players who don't pan out so why <laughs> why do all of this for a player where the red flags were there before he was even on your team it's just it's one of the most mind-bogglingly stupid decisions I've seen a management group make in a long time. And I think we're going to go back to the very first point that you made, Evan. Wherever this decision was made, Neely, Sweeney, wherever, I mean, unless it was ownership-driven completely, uh, I I think there needs to be change in Boston about this. We may never know. Uh, And I would not be surprised if Gary Bettman in the background is laying into that organization. I know Jeremy Jacobs has more pull than any other owner uh, in the NHL, even though it's not necessarily him running the team right now, it's the Jacobs family, but that it, this has just been so unnecessarily stupid. Yep. Anyhow,
2: that's one hell uh, of an end to the main topics. So let's jump into overtime. So say, when was the last time where the entire positives of an episode were the Red Wings and everything else was negative? The yeah. last like seven <laughs> years has
1: been mostly the inverse. <laughs> We'll take it, although please don't keep doing these stories, NHL. Uh, We're going to jump into overtime, which on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is proudly brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast if you want to support the show and get cool benefits like uh, the Winged Wheel Podcast Discord. Uh, We're giving away tickets, uh, two tickets to every Red Wings home game this season, and the vast majority of them are going directly to patrons. Uh, You also get uh, automatically entered into any giveaway that's happening. You get access to our Patreon exclusive uh, Over time, mini episodes that we record right after these, uh, there's a ton of uh, great benefits. So, if you want to support the show, it means a lot to us. Patreon.com/slash Winged Wheel Podcast. Armchair GM slash Genius says Jonathan Bergeron is a point per game player in the A. Why is he not getting a look in the NHL? If he's a highly skilled playmaker and the Wings are short in their top six, does it not make sense for him to get a look? Seems like a waste uh, to a waste to have players like Smith and Luff getting time instead of Bergeron. hashtag Free Bergeron. So that's what we talked about earlier and. In, in, you know, if we do see a Bergman call-up soon, it'll be for the exact reasons that you stated in my mind. Cody Stark says, who's your dark horse pick from the Wings 97, 98, and 02 teams? The guy no one talks about who's a deep, essential part of those championships. I'll reply with mine, Matthew Dandino. That's always a name that comes to mind. Dougie Brown. Doug Brown's another one that was listed. Dandino is, uh, is the foremost one.
0: Boy, Devereaux.
1: Devereaux. I think we're it. talking 0-2, yeah, that's a good one. Rookie Pavel Datsuk. Freddie Olisson. Oh, God. That is an old hockey name. Uh, Brad Stepstool says, Is Kublik in the long-term plans for us, or is he a trade chip we need to sell high on? Thanks for everything.
2: Depends where the Red Wings are sitting in the standings at the trade deadline. Uh, it's a boring answer, but it's going to be the answer I'll be repeating till at least January. Uh... I I would imagine
1: they're not going to be keen on moving him, but he's also producing like crazy, has an incredibly cheap contract, not too much term on it to scare teams away. If they
2: get an offer that they can't refuse, I would imagine they'll sell. Counterpoint. This is also the type of guy that you generally get value on in contracts, because even if he does have two big years and then the Red Wings want to extend him beyond that, at least the bargaining chip was, we've only got two years. Like, is this a fluke? So his price doesn't go way up because of the risk that will be you know quote-unquote attached to him i i do think that's more of a
1: question this season than people would want to care to admit so let's see where we're at in like january but next year especially the you're, you're probably gonna ne- see this come up
2: next year the red wings got to be not selling assets because the timeline would be a problem this is the last year i think the red wings could get away with selling at the deadline i think next year the expectation has to be playoffs or at least like very competitive through april
1: jeremy doll says uh he had a, a few questions here but one he said what are your thoughts on matthews not fighting so i think it was uh me.
2: okay damn i'm actually mad we didn't bring that up earlier in the episode because i did want to talk about that because i think it was mike rupp did a a very good breakdown of what happened in the scrum. And there's two ways that I look at this. Should Austin Matthews be involved in scrums and scraps and get, no, of course not. Absolutely not. Why would you want your star player to be, you know, going out there, possibly breaking his hand, possibly having his face broken. You do not want your stars fighting. So when connecting was going at Matthews and, you know, March, Giordano laid the cleanest tackle I've seen in any sport all year. That was textbook. Yes. But to Rupp's point, Matthews kind of started it and seemed very casual when there's chaos going around him. I know you don't want your stars fighting, but if you're a player below him on the depth chart, which is everyone, you want to at least think he gives a shit. You know, Michael Bunting's in a scrap. Mark Giordano, who's literally older than me is in a scrap. Like I, I'm not saying that Matthews needs to go in there and start throwing bombs, but he needs to be pulling bodies out of there. He needs to actually give a shit that it's not going to get worse. He needs to at least at the very least have a facial expression. Like he's, mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. there. So no, I, I'm not a fan of your star players running around starting scraps, you know, risking injury, but at the same time for lack of a, I don't even know how to phrase it, but your star players can't be nonchalant or afraid.
0: This has been a very boomer heavy window or boomer heavy episode. Yeah, but it's, you know, you, I love, you you guys guys know know me. I love violence,
2: (laughs) but you guys have been around (laughs) locker rooms. You know how teammates feel about this stuff. You know how the rest of the Leafs would feel about this
0: player on your team is getting into fights and standing up for even the fourth line guys who get or the, so with bottom pairing defenseman who gets run over, that, that nothing gets the team going more than it, that.
2: Exactly. You don't want Matthews fighting, but if Matthews, as the leader of this team, which he should be, gets cross-checked by Travis Konechny and then turns around and just pu- breaks his face, dude, and you do that not often. That won't, this hap- is that won't
0: happen ever again, yeah. I'll tell you that.
2: <laughs> not often, but at least once or twice and a couple times the rest of your team will run through a wall for you. Dylan Larkin got suspended for that thing That's with Matthew Joseph. That's
0: exactly which, what I was thinking about.
2: Objectively, it's bad that Dylan Larkin got suspended and had to miss a game for and also wrist injury for something he did. Everybody on the Red Wings will run through a damn wall for Dylan Larkin. Yeah. So, again, to summarize, it's not something that should happen even semi-often, but when... It happens. You need to be involved.
1: You need to be a leader. Man, Toronto's insane because most other markets—I don't want to say that wouldn't be a story. Not like this though. That's like that's like a page seven story. It for wouldn't most even. Team. It wouldn't be a
2: story if they were winning. Yeah, which. As but as usual Toronto, with Toronto, they bring this unto themselves. The context of Toronto, they lose in the first round every year. They don't get it going when the times are tough. And I think Steve even had a great line a week ago about the Leafs. He says they're the second toughest team in every game they play. Yeah. Uh, also
1: of note, because it, there's so much happening in, the, in this episode, Keith petrozelli uh, famously walked as a free agent with the Red Wings. Um, I've heard both that the Red Wings didn't offer him Basically, the Red Wings pretty much didn't offer him a a deal initially. That was a path to the NHL, and uh, I've also heard that he was not really interested in signing with Detroit. Ended up uh, signing an NHL deal with Toronto. So, they Samsonov or Samsonov went out, and they now have Kolarin Petrozelli, which is interesting. Yeah, who'd have thought signing two often injured goalies was a recipe for disaster? Uh, Darb EQ says, "I don't think we're talking enough about Horonix mustache." Yeah, we're not.
2: We're undefeated. Glorious. We in
0: the sheriff stash era. I don't know
2: how we make him keep it permanently beyond just November, but we need to find a way to make him keep it permanently. This this is his best look.
0: I've never seen someone go from more European looking to more American looking <laughs> just by shaving their face.
1: It is absurd. <laughs> he looks like a. Middle pairing defenseman from like North Dakota, who skates okay. moves he's, a puck he's okay. Bob can, Dugnut what? or whatever you got. Yeah, Bobson Dugnut. Yeah. Bobson
0: Dugnut. The hell, are That's you him. talking
2: about a middle pairing defenseman from? Free, he looks like an extra on Sons of Anarchy.
1: Yeah, same the same thing. But he'll look like he'll beat the absolute piss out of you. He's like a Luke Witkowski's cousin, not because he looks like him, but because they can probably do the same thing with their
2: fists. He does look yeah intensely. Hey. Uh, for all the crap we give Hironic on the ice, he is a tough SOB. Oh, he's like, not afraid to get He fits that look. Yeah.
1: Uh, Sean Stephen Cooks says, Brad, have you noticed that Cider switched to the agent, but the E is a five. How do you pronounce that? Agent. agent. Like Raymond. They were both hyperlight Boys, and Raymond started the year with the agent, but Mo just switched, I think, last game. I wonder if he was waiting for a custom length or something to come in. I think Raymond would use a 60-inch stock height stick so he wouldn't have to wait. So...
2: The Agent is a Hyperlite build with the new material, Boron 5, hence the 5 in the Agent. So this is the first, like, non-carbon fiber hockey stick in a long, long time. This stick, I've I've shot with it, it's, like, absurdly light. Like, it's 40 grams lighter than the Hyperlite, which doesn't sound like a lot in general, but, like, in hockey stick terms, it... It's so noticeable when you're holding it, shooting with it. There is an adjustment period there. I actually... Wanted to bring up a theory that Cider and Raymond were off a little bit because there probably actually was an adjustment period to this stick. It's so different, but um, your brain works different than mine, man. It, it is. Uh, it's it's so not. Weirdo. It's
0: it's a weird place. But the worst thing I hate about the NHL now is every time I see someone's tape job, I just think of Brad and yeah. what his distaste for it will be. God. The other day, I saw Cider's tape job, and it looked like it got hit by a grenade. <laughs> he looked at it. <laughs> and just went back to like sitting on the bench, and I was like, "There's somewhere, Brad." <laughs> I hate just <that. laughs> lost like two years of his life. I hate that you brought
2: that up because I actually know the exact moment you in, saw in the that. Broadcast. I think it I thought was the about Islanders that. game, and I did see that, and I did die inside a little bit. McDavid's bad for that too. His tape could be hit with a weed whacker. He doesn't. He doesn't care. Doesn't he use the same stick for like ever? His He's stick's like, like eight years old. Oh my god. He's using an old RBZ that was wrapped as a super tax. Like he was using an old wrap with an even older stick. And he's using skates that are just as old. And then there's Crosby using even older shit than that. And meanwhile, here's Lucas Raymond and Moe Sider uh, playing with hockey sticks roughly the same weight as a napkin.
1: That's like the closest we're going to get to a modern day Al McKenna still shooting with a wood stick. Yep, Bombs
2: from the point. Oh, if you grab, uh, I'm going to rephrase this. <laughs> if you hold Sidney Crosby's hockey stick and then Moe's ciders it would feel like Crosby's is a wooden hockey stick. There is such a stark
0: difference. History's cyclical, I suppose. Uh,
1: Colt Rosenwag says, uh, "So that was such a fun and exciting weekend." I have kind of a random question. Given what happened to Luff's face after encountering that puck, why is the cage helmet he's now wearing not more widely used? Oh, just in
2: general. Why uh, do, visibility? visibility and hockey players are idiots. They, you know, the,
0: the I don't know, man, I,
1: the
2: first time I wore a visor after having like a full cage,
0: it's like you're saying for the first time. Yeah, I
2: do like it way better. And I, I know I should switch back, but I just can't because it is better. It's it, that's it, the visibility is that much better. Just invest in a really
1: good mouth guard.
2: Yeah. If you get cut on the cheeks or whatever, that's just. Flash, you don't want to be losing teeth
1: um yeah it's all a visibility thing and it's like you'll see the uh the face shield rather than the cage a lot of times too for visibility i know the shield tends to fog up they have you know sprays and coatings for that now uh but the bars really but if you switch away from a cage to a visor then never have to go back to a cage it's going to be like
2: you're playing from prison the yeah. first thing I noticed when I went from a cage to the visor was how much easier I was picking up the puck in my peripheral when it was in my feet yeah. and it was in close to my body because yeah. the bars in the chin cup don't get in the way. You can see straight down. It's also different being able to vocalize easier because your jaw, the bottom of your jaw is not hitting the chin yeah. cup. Unless you're these... I know it's a style thing for the kids. Tight
0: at all? That's the least surprising thing ever. No, nobody
2: does. It's just getting worse as time goes on. You should see the freaking idiot kids at the arena now. You could fit your fist between the kids. I told you this
0: is a boomer episode. Uh, This is a boomer episode. Listen, I understand.
2: Like, I have very strong hockey style opinions.
0: Oh, we uh, we apparently have the full spectrum in this room. Yeah.
2: But like the the cage hang trend right no, now is good. so not stupid. It's it looks you're gonna stu-
1: cut your chin open that
2: way. One, I wouldn't want that thing rattling around. That would just drive me nuts. I don't see functionally. Two, you look like an idiot. And three, like you're just making other problems worse. Like I, everything else is subjective except for everything you do. But. <laughs>
0: i'll have the people <laughs> note he pointed at ryan <laughs> yep yeah
1: <laughs> but that one's a guy in dumb. the green shirt okay we got to wrap up this episode of the wing wheel podcast we're going to record our patreon exclusive overtime folks thank you all so much for tuning in next episode actually there's one game before next episode that's tuesday night against the montreal canadians at home uh patrons check our page uh, we're going to be giving away a ticket for that uh, that episode's also going to feature a re- really fun interview, if all goes to plan. Thank you all so much for tuning in and for bearing with us. Uh, it's been fun talking about three wins. We'd like to thank all of our listeners, new and old, our name-level sponsors on Patreon, every patron, and our name-level sponsors on Patreon, Arjun Shanker, Yves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Gron Foundation, Aikfer, Armchair GM slash Genius, Nick Perks, Terry Driver of the Number 69 Crime, Ryan Hannes Penance Lama Matthew M. Rice, Croner's Left Knee. Bingo Bango, I'm out of rhymes, bingo, bango. Brandon M, Carl, Brutana Nanoluski, Chimmy, Chris Paul, or Chris Ball, Chris P Sison High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote season tickets and Tempe, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, elite defense elite offensive defenseman, Ben Sherratt, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Hassan Alkasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Kaylin Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Marcus, Marcus, Matt McKay, Nadelkovich goalie number one. Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Ryan Hanna, Ryan Hanna, the Unshowered, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, the podcasting coach, Zachary Rogers, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, number one Detroit Red Guys fan, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landiscog, Ben Barron, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Connor Leighton, Darren Fick, Dave W., uh, Disciple of Large, the Prophet of the Towering Behemoth, Philip Zadiz Nuts, Heil, have an order of large fries and a pizza with two eyes, also maybe a win, Heronix handlebar, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, John Engels, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Logan Burgos, Matt S. Loyal soldier of the Cheesebag Army. Matt, thank you so much for your help this weekend. Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, <laughs> Munchma, <laughs> with a Q. Oh, Ophelia, Papa Woody, Pius on the Loose, Thick Rick, and Aaron Hudson. Thank you all so very much.